Welcome to Live from My Office, a Thanksgiving holiday edition. Here's what we have for you on the agenda today. The menu, if you will. <laughs> the menu. I got to get out of this office. I'm so lonely. Um, there is a call from Donald Trump I'm expecting at any moment, as far as you know. And uh, we'll talk to Trump about the status of things, the status of him, and of course, Thanksgiving. And then author David Baldacci, uh, one of the books you could add to your Christmas gift list. He's written about 900. He wrote two extra while we were doing this interview. He's just prolific. So Baldacci, a semi-regular guest here on Live from My Office, will be on as well. In the meantime, on this Thanksgiving holiday, I hope whoever you are, wherever you are, and whoever you're with makes you happy. And I'm thankful that you have listened and subscribed, rate, review, do all those things, and spread the word about Live from My Office. Um, and uh, let's get after it. We begin with this. Well, we managed to get him on again. The former and current GOP frontrunner for President of the United States. It's Donald Trump. Hello, sir. Hello, Cochran. Don't forget truthful. Truthful, the most truthful president ever. Everyone else is lying, especially Crooked Joe. But I tell you the truth. Which is why I have an entire social network created for the purpose of truth-telling. It's Truth Social. I mean, come on. It's right there in the name, for God's sake. Well, listen, um, it, it, let's start here. Is it true that one of the names you considered initially for Truth Social was... I can't believe they're buying my BS. Was that one of the names? Uh, very funny, Cochran. You, you should get into show business. <laughs> All right, look, before we really start, I want to extend our condolences to you, to your family, over the news of the recent passing of your older sister, Marianne. Marianne trump Barry. I know she was 86 years old. Yes, my beloved sister has passed away, and because of this, I demand that all my federal and state trials get pushed back and delayed indefinitely. <laughs> we need to mourn, Cochran, tremendously mm -hmm. mourn. Mm -hmm. And by the way, in lieu of flowers, my family's asking that you donate to Marianne's favorite organization, the Trump Save America Pack. Oh. Help my sister's memory live on, won't you? <laughs> Donate to Save America. Consider a measly $500 minimum contribution for this tremendous organization. Mm. They do a lot of work. Mm -hmm. And right now, for just $250, you can get a signed copy photo of me with Taylor Swift from when we were dating. Uh, sir, sir, you never dated Taylor Swift. Not photoshopped at all. Really? You sure about that, Cochran? Well, yeah, quite. I mean, she was 16 when you married Melania, and though you clearly didn't stop dating after you married Melania, Taylor Swift's made it clear she thinks you're bad for America. You know, it's always been true, Cochran. The ladies never like it when Trump leaves. Oh, you just don't know. Never like it. You're inexplicable. Thanks, Cochran. Thank yeah. you. Mm -hmm. Thank you. All right, back to business. Former House Speaker Kevin McCarthy was in the news the other day, and I thought you'd like this. Tennessee Congressman Tim Burkett accused McCarthy of elbowing him in the kidneys in a Capitol Hill hallway. And a reporter was there to supposedly witness the whole thing. He says McCarthy's being a bully to all GOP members who voted him out. Any comment on that? Well, first of all, as soon as I stopped laughing my ass off, <laughs> I felt a little bad for the Congressman Tim, whatever the hell his name is from Tennessee. Okay. I mean, let's face it. McCarthy is just a terrible person. He's terrible. I heard that he walked up behind 84-year-old Maryland Congressman Steny Hoyer, rammed him so hard it broke Nancy Pelosi's hip. <laughs> True story. So he hit Steny Hoyer so hard, the concussion was such that, that, that Nancy Pelosi busted her hip. That's A amazing. huge chain reaction, Cochran. <laughs> All right, let's move on. 
You've uh, you've had lots to say about Special Counsel Jack Smith. For example, no gag order can prevent me from saying it. You said recently that if you're reelected, Smith and the others are going to end up in a mental institution. You're going to see to that. Are you kidding me? I've got the Thorazine needle and the backwards jacket right here and ready to go. Mm-hmm. He, he's going to think he's Taylor Swift when I'm done with him. Well, then you'll think you dated him. And before we do anything, we're going to find out what his real name is. Jack Smith. That's the stupidest fake name I've heard since that goofy broad on CNN, Poppy Harlow. Can't believe you're not doing well with women, you know, as a, as a voting block. Uh, all right, before we run out of time, and we will, as usual, because God did create clocks... Um, I just want to remind people we've learned nothing, but I am curious. What are your plans for Thanksgiving? Well, thanks for asking that, Cochran. And I am thankful for very many things. I'm thankful for Melania, who's going to be out shopping all weekend while I golf. <laughs> Lots of things to be thankful for. Mm-hmm. It's a very important holiday in the Trump House, a.k.a. Mar-a-Lago. You know, me and 385 of my closest friends and political suck-ups going to be mm-hmm. digging mm-hmm. in in the holiday dinner. Mm-hmm. You're still not on the guest list, by the way. Oh, and I'm thankful for that. It starts Thursday morning with the annual tradition of our servant, Rudy Giuliani, (laughs) selecting my silk Trump underwear, (laughs) toweling me off after my shower, and giving my perfect hair a blowout and styling for the day. Really? Rudy does that? Yeah, Rudy. And then our new chef, Scott Bayo. You may have heard of him. He's our new chef at Mar-a-Lago. He begins the feast with a run to McDonald's for five sausage and egg McMuffins. Well, wait, wait, wait. What's the rest of the family doing? Uh, Eric watches the parade and pretends the Snoopy float is the dog I never let him have. <laughs> okay. And then Don Jr. will be mostly hiding from that fiancé of his, Kimberly Guilfoyle. And I'll be screening the uh, phones if Tiffany calls. Probably let it go to voicemail. Yeah, she's not invited again. Well, wait a minute. What about Ivanka and Jared? Look, Cochran, I can't spend all day with you. I've been in court more than Judge Judy, okay? Give it a rest. <laughs> Thanks for calling former President Trump. And allow me to say, sir, happy Thanksgiving. Later, loser. I don't know why I don't screen his calls. All right, look, David Baldacci is as busy an author as there is. He's a lawyer who didn't know if he could write a book. Now, he can't stop writing books, and he's got a new series out. And this is a cool Christmas gift idea as well. So, uh, David Baldacci, as previously heard on the Big 89 WLS, here's the long form of that interview. Hope you like it. David Baldacci's been a regular guest almost on Live from My Office because he frankly doesn't have great handlers. Um, no, no, he's on because he's great, and so is Martha Kiley, our friend. But anyway, David, welcome back. We're going to talk about your latest, The Edge. But how are you, and what are you doing for Thanksgiving? Uh, I'm doing well, thank you, and uh, staying home for Thanksgiving. People are going to come to us and do the whole turkey battle. My my wife and my brother-in-law do this turkey battle. He makes a turkey, she makes a turkey, then we vote which one is better. I'm just glad I'm not in the middle of it. Wow. So your only job is to eat it? Well, I'm also I'm a designated sous chef, so I just basically do what I'm told. Oh, I very good. Keep my head down. Yeah, I, I've given out this secret before, David, but I feel like we're old pals now. What I do is I arrive, I go into the kitchen, I immediately break something, and then I'm told <laughs> go watch football, and I'm off the hook. <laughs> brilliant, just a brilliant maneuver, Andrea. <laughs> you're going to catch on at some point. <laughs> Andrea, I know you're a Baldacci fan, oh, but I know you time. also haven't seen The Edge yet. No, I have not. Sell it to us, David. Tell us why The Edge is your latest must-read. So I bring back Travis Devine from the 620 Man. He's a former Army Ranger who had to lead the Army under a cloud. 
and now he works with this agency underneath the Department of Homeland Security. Basically, he's dropped into places, and he has to figure out what's going on and resolve problems and figure out things. So there's a small town in Maine, um, upper Maine on the coast, Putnam, Maine, very rugged, very isolated, where a CIA agent who's from that town, Jenny Silkwell, has been found murdered. So he's sent up there to figure out, is it tied to her connection with CIA? Did they interrogate her? Do they have secrets now that could damage national security? Or was her murder tied to something in her past from the, the small town in Maine? She's a very well-connected family. Her father was a senator up there. He was a war hero who now has Alzheimer's, doesn't even know that she's been murdered. Um, so he's dropped in the small town. He has to deal with the police there and with all the local personalities and finds a town that has a lot of secrets and some darkness in its past and has to try to figure out what happened to her and try to survive in the, in the, in the meantime. David, I'm such a fan of yours. Absolute power being one of my favorites, of course. Wish you well. When you are writing now, because so many of your previous works have been adapted for the screen or turned into movies, are you thinking of that when you're writing now? Or are you just, you know what, putting pen to paper, as as we said back in the day, or, you know, hands to keyboard right. and, and just writing what you're thinking? Or are you thinking, you know, ultimately this is going to make the big screen and are you picturing people in the roles of your characters? No, I never think about the movie or the film element because if I if I do that, I'm writing a screenplay in disguise and it turns out to be a really crappy novel. <laughs> so I just, gotcha. I just that makes focus, sense. I, I, I focus on the story, and uh, I did sell the Six Twenty Man to Netflix. They want to turn that into a bunch of movies for them, and I sold Adley Pine and Amos Decker to Amazon Studios. They're working on both of those now that the actors and writer strikes are over. But for me, it's just about writing a novel. If it's, it's turned into a TV or film, that's awesome. Um, but the novel is sort of my, my bailiwick. I just focus on that and nothing else. Three children's books, novellas, short stories, a nonfiction book as well, 100 million plus uh, sold. Have I got this right, 60 novels now? Yeah, I think I'm bearing down on 60 novels now, which um like 59 more than I thought I had in me. But. Yeah, because here's the deal. Once you get by the first one, they get easy. No, yeah. they don't. No. <laughs> no. I, they get, I tell people it gets harder. Why? Because, you know, after writing, writing so many novels, you realize how good it can be if you actually just work a little bit harder. Um, and you force yourself to work a little bit harder with each one. And then you also realize, I have no idea what I'm doing. I just sit down and I make up stuff that didn't exist before I thought of it. There's no template or formula for that. So I sit down and it's like I'm writing my first novel over and over again. I'm scared to death that I can't, I have no idea what I'm doing. I can't bring the magic again. But you know what? I found that fear is a great antidote to complacency. So I just keep getting scared. Well, see, I'm writing a book called Complacency that never gets finished. Um, but uh, I It'll think surely be a big bestseller. It is yeah. no question. Um, it, it's all part of my attention deficit disorder series and my procrastination volumes. But uh, David, uh, I think we talked about this before, but what's your method? Is there a time of day you write better? And do you do it for a specific time every day? No, I, my method is I'm, I'm typical for being atypical. So every day is kind of different. Sometimes I write in the morning, sometimes late at night, sometimes in the middle of the day, sometimes all day. Um, some days it's, it's not there. I haven't thought about it enough. I haven't crystallized. I just go off and take a walk and I don't write it all that day. Um, sometimes I'll start a novel and think I'm going to go one way and I realize the pages aren't working. I throw those pages away and I sit down and try to strike it from another angle and another way. I did that with this novel that I, I wrote 25 pages with him as a certain role in a certain place. Didn't like it. Threw it away. I wow. wrote 100 pages of him with a different role in a different place. Didn't like that either. And finally, 
I combined elements of those two together, and once I did, it clicked, and all of a sudden, you know, within probably three months, I had the first draft done. So it's really good to try to get it right. Don't be afraid to throw stuff away or stop what you're doing, because pounding a round peg into a square hole ultimately never leads to a good place. So you have to get it right in your head. So for me, every day is different. I don't have I don't have a particular formula. I don't have a particular day where I write or the time or page. I, I never count pages. I thought, you know, what's the point of counting pages? If, if I'm only going to write five pages a day, but that sixth page is going to be the best page I wrote all day, is right. a stop. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. right. I'm out of here. So you got you have to be flexible. Just let it flow. I love the character development and how you don't mind starting from ground zero if you need to. What do you do about location? So as you're writing this, do you think, all right, obviously this, the edge is set in Maine. Do you go to Maine? Do you scout out the locations? Do ideas come to you that way? Or is, is it just kind of this preconceived in your in your mind what you're going to write? No, it's it's I go go to locations. In fact, I've been all over Maine. My my cousin John was the governor of Maine for two terms. Oh. Uh, so I've been from southern Maine all the way to Madawaska, Fort Kent, and the next step you take, you're in Canada. It's a very rugged place. You know, 90% of it is still forested. It has a longer coastline than California. But I was in Maine a couple of years ago for an event, and it sort of reinvigorated my interest in Maine. And so when I decided, you know, was deciding where I want to set the edge, um, I decided let's do Maine because I wanted it to be a small town. I wanted it to be near the water. I wanted it to be isolated um, with not a lot of people, and that all fit within the parameters. So sometimes me traveling back up to Maine to give a speech, you know, a couple of years ago was the reason why this book is set in Maine because sometimes, you know, I'm sensitive to my surroundings, and when I was up there, I felt I walked around a lot. I talked to a lot of people. I drove around a lot. And it just hit me, that sense of this is a special place I can use this. I can make this environment, I can make this patch of Maine a character in this novel. And that's sure. What to do. Yeah, and the thing is, Andrea, um, I think you'd agree with me on this. Every time you see a wilderness set adventure or drama, they're going to Colorado, they're going to the Rockies, you know, maybe they're going to the Ozarks now uh, because of Bateman. But the fact of the matter is, we don't know what the hell's going on in I Maine. I know. Imagine all the stories in Maine. And Baldacci is cracking the code on Maine now. He's letting you know there's a lot of creeps in Maine as well. <laughs> Unfortunately for us, there are a lot of creeps everywhere. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. Like, right, you know, I'm, I can look to my left and see a couple of creeps, but uh, I know it's. But it, it, it but in, in you know, environment and place can be very emotionally powerful particularly for a writer, and it can give you this you know, extra sort of gas in the tank to, to write about things. And again, um, I wanted to make the atmosphere really important in this novel, and Maine you know, allowed me to do that. going to let you run, but uh, I've told you before, uh, my, uh, I've got a brother with special needs um, who's dealt with literacy challenges his whole life, and what you and your wife have done with Wish You Well Foundation is really important, so plug that. Yeah, so we it's our 23rd year. Um, we pump millions of dollars into this because every dollar you put into literacy, you get a, probably $10,000 out the other end. Why? Because literacy and reading is the way that people improve their lives, both intellectually and economically. Um, if you have um, high literacy skills, chances are very high, high you're going to be well compensated, have a good life, good home, good family, be able to provide no issues of hunger, homelessness, uh, crime, poverty. 
um, which are all tied to the lack of reading in this country. So if you if you build up literacy in this country, guess what goes away? Homelessness, hunger, poverty, and crime. How much would people pay to have those things go away? I would think they would pay a lot. Unfortunately, sure. we don't spend a lot of money on that stuff. Um, if we did, things would be different in this country. So we, we really stepped into the breach during COVID. A lot of the funding sources for these organizations dried up, and we have probably poured more money into our literacy efforts in the last three years than we did in the previous 10 um, just because the need is there and is rising every day. If you look across the country, reading scores are plummeting across the country with young people. People are not reading books nearly at the level they used to be reading. And things, you know, I, I don't think that, you know, TikTok is going to deliver us to a better world. No, no, I'm going to second that notion. Yeah. 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 <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so that's what we try to do. We try to get, we're trying to put the thrill of reading and all the good positives come from it back into the life of this country. And to uh, help contribute, if you're financially able, it's certainly appreciated, but you can contribute in other ways too. Where do they go? Yeah, you can go to wishyouwellfoundation.org and also davidbeldacci.com. You can learn about the foundation, ways for you to volunteer in your own communities, ways to donate, um, because we, pay for all expenses of the foundation. Every dollar donated goes right to the to the source. It doesn't go to anybody else. Um, it's just really important. I have, Look, I, I grew up in Jim Crow, Virginia in the 60s. I could have grown up a very different person. Um, I was saved by books and libraries, and uh, I know that it could save lots of other people too. It's on your Christmas reading list because I just put it there, the latest in the 620-man series, The Edge from David Baldacci. I appreciate you being on live from my office and here on the Big 89 WLS with me and Andrea. And I hope you have a great Thanksgiving, great holiday. Thank you. Same to you, too. Take, Take care. care. Thanks, right. David. If you're a regular listener, you know, on these episodes, we usually give you a charity to promote, support, and contribute to, whether it's volunteer time or money. I'm not going to do that this time because I'm going to tell you we're in the holiday season and there's a million billion great charities to contribute to. So think about what is meaningful to you, Uh, an organization that touches your heart. Do the proper vetting. One of the places you can do it is Charity Navigator. They rate just about every charity there is. But sniff around a little bit and find out that they're legit and then help them. And if money's tight and it is for just about everybody, look at the volunteering, maybe giving them a little bit of your time or helping them out in other ways. Be charitable this holiday season is the message. And the last thing about Thanksgiving, I would add, is, you know, we all have issues with family. I hope whatever issues you have, you can get around for this holiday. But if you haven't talked to somebody in your family for a long time, if you can get around it and if you can try to make amends, I hope you will. Not for them, for you. If it's important to you to tie up some loose ends, I encourage you to do that. And I fully realize for some people that's not a possibility. But life is short. It's not just a cliche. Uh, I'm glad you're here. Thankful for you. Thankful for your listening. And uh, thankful for Ross Cochran, the executive producer, who phoned it in and took this week off. Boy, am I thankful for Miranda, who does a great job on the Steve Cochran Show. And Miranda Ellis is available to produce your podcast that, of course, all Americans have to now do by law. Just reach out to her through the WLS Steve Cochran Show. And uh, Miranda, thank you. Happy Thanksgiving to you and to all of you as well. Lots to come in the holiday season here on Live from My Office. And don't forget, every weekday morning, 530 to 9 in the Big 89 WLS. See ya. 30 years plus on the airwaves. You have turned your dial to me. Now you're tuned into my podcast. It's Live from My Office, Steve. From Ithaca, New York, to Carolina, South, 
Thank you for listening to Live from My Office, a service of Monkey Run Productions. All rights reserved. The podcast is hosted by Steve Cochran, and it's mixed, edited, and produced by me, Ross Cochran. Steve is available for corporate speaking gigs. He would love to emcee your event. And occasionally, he's funny. Thank you for listening. Head to CochranShow.com for more.